from game-winning shots. Walk-off home runs. This ball is crushed. To last-second field goals. Sports Corner. It is the Guarantee Sports Corner on a Thursday, but not just any ordinary Thursday. It is the first day of the NFL season. Texans versus Chiefs tonight. The NFL is here. Say it again. The NFL is here. My good friend Jimmy Davis is going to be joining the show here shortly. I know he's excited for the NFL. I know he's excited for the Packers. We'll bring him in. Uh, we'll bring him in in just a second to talk the NFL and a little bit about the NBA. I think everyone is ready to have football back. Uh, I know I am. I've been looking for it for the last six months. I've been waiting for it. Uh, so many old faces in new places. Uh, and, and there's a ton of new, young, talented players ready to make a name for themselves. Uh, but first, let's talk about the NBA first. The Miami Heat are moving on to the Eastern Conference Finals. They have done the unthinkable, beating the number one seed Bucks in five games. And they're just getting hot at the right time. And now all they can do is wait to see who they have a dance with whether it's the Celtics or the Raptors. And that game six between those two teams was phenomenal. A double overtime win for the Raptors. Uh, both teams fighting for their lives. The Celtics, of course, were trying to put away the Raptors while the Raptors were fighting to keep their season alive. And Kyle Lowry showed up and proved everyone that he is the leader of this team and proved that the Raptors don't need Kawhi to win big games. The Raptors did everything they could to come out with a win and force a Game 7. Now as far as a Game 7 goes, it's, it's a jump ball to me. Uh, it can go either way. Both teams have excellent coaches. Both teams have great depth. Both teams have players that can make plays in crucial moments. But when it comes down to the wire, it's all about who wants it more. And the Raptors, they, they've been to the finals. They have felt that pressure before. So experience might be the deciding factor in game seven. So now I'm going to bring in Jimmy Davis. Of course, you guys have heard him on the show before. Jimmy, Jimmy, how's it going, my friend? How's it going, James? It's going well, going well. It's going absolutely great. Did you watch that game six last night between the Celtics and the Raptors? Oh, my, of course. Yes, I did. My God, that was just such a spectacular game on both sides. I mean, back and forth was absolutely insane. They looked like the Celtics had it in hand, and then the Raptors would come back, and then it looked like the, Celtics, or the Raptors had it in hand, and the Celtics would come back, and fortunately, the Raptors ended up coming back. I only say that because I'm excited to see a Game 7. Game 7 is always great. Um, in terms of who I'm leaning for in the Game 7, I'd say the Celtics. Um, the Celtics have proved themselves as the better team in this series, the games that they've won have been by substantial margins, and they've outplayed the Raptors. And the Raptors, with every single game that they've won, has been a scrappy, scrappy victory. I mean, game three, they pulled that out of their butts. You know, they <laughs> shot a three from the corner with like four seconds left on the clock. 
I mean, that doesn't just happen. So the Celtics are the better team, in my opinion. But at the same time, the Raptors are a team that clearly has been there before. They've, lost, they've won their last three Game 7s. And you, you have gamers like Kyle Lowry and Van Vliet and guys that are exceeding their roles. I mean, yesterday Norman Powell had 30 points. Nobody predicted Norman Powell <laughs> to have 30 points. Right. So there's a, there's a lot to go there, and, and it's, it's going to be an exciting game. That's the only reason I say I'm happy to see a Game 7. You know who's been kind of a kind of a surprise in this series is OG Ananobi. I mean, he he has Definitely. stepped it up. He has stepped it up in this series, no doubt about it. And he made some big big shots in Game Six. I mean, where 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 does yep. this come from? I mean, he's not a starter. He he's one of those guys that knows his role. And you know, it's yep. funny because I was just watching the Jordan documentary, and it. it kind of reminded me of John Paxson a little bit, just kind of being there, being in the right spot at the right time and, and, and making the big shots that they need to do in order to win games. And so... He, he, he fits the role of a, of a John Paxson, definitely, but I'd say that the advantage maybe for him is that he is um, he's defensively very, very talented. And he is the primary rebounder. Yesterday he led the team with 13 rebounds. And... Um, he, he has an insane amount of vertical. He's got crazy athleticism. I mean, I think if we asked Raptors fans, they wouldn't be surprised by this uh, by this too much. But for us, you know, normal bystanders watching, it's definitely surprising. I mean, he has been a starter off and on. Sometimes he's off the bench. Sometimes he starts and he's filling in for someone. I mean, we can see Nick Nurse is trying to make adjustments. He started Marcus Gasol yesterday, but Marcus Gasol only played 15 minutes of the whole game, which clearly shows that, that Nick Nurse is leaning towards a smaller lineup, which is what uh, Boston is throwing out there. You know, they throw out their five-man lineup of Smart, Walker, Tice, Tatum, and Brown, and it's pretty hard to stop. And it's been proven that OG Anunoby is someone that can step on for Jalen Brown, he can step on for Tatum, and he can walk it down. I, I think that's what's more valuable than anything. He does bring the offensive value. He's a huge shot, no doubt. But defensively, I think is where they really try to find his value. Another player that I have been pretty surprised by myself in this series is Daniel Tice. I mean, I know he's their big man, but I yeah. don't think the expectations were, were set very high for him coming into this series. I mean... We all know in terms of big man, Pascal Siakam is, is the best one out of both teams. Now, Daniel Tice, yeah. you know, I was watching down the stretch in that in the fourth quarter and even going into the over in, a, in the overtime periods, he was stepping it up, he, and they just kept lobbing it to him. And maybe that is a outcome of the Raptors playing small as well. Uh, but I think yeah. in those in those situations, I, I you got to put Marcus Saul out there. I mean, he's. He's a veteran big man who understands how to, you know, he, he knows the defensive schemes. And yeah. I, I was kind yeah. of confused as to why they limited him to such few minutes. You know, Daniel Tice, I don't know how many points he had in the fourth quarter in overtime, but down the stretch in the fourth quarter, he was getting, I think he had like six or eight points at least. And I know he had the two alley-oop assists, and, and it just seemed like the Raptors... Well, I his, I'm looking at his stat line right now. I can just read it. He did play 47 minutes, uh, 18 points, 7 boards, 2 assists, 
but he was 9 of 11 from the field. Yeah. He was extremely efficient. He shot 81%. So you're definitely making some good points there. They should go to him more. But I think he gets a lot of open looks um, because because of the other talent on his team. Brown, Tatum, Walker all attract so much attention. I mean, pretty much consistent double teams. And um, while Walker, we didn't see have Walker have a good game shooting yesterday from the field. He was only 2 of 11. But he was breaking down Toronto's defense consistently. He was getting by Van Vliet, or he was getting by Lowry, and he was setting up guys. He was being a great playmaker. And Tice is a perfect recipient, I think, of, of, of being a, a recipient of a playmaker because he's not someone that can create his own shot. He's not going to go out there and drop a bunch of buckets. He scores alley-oops. He put back buckets, put back dunks and he scores wide open threes. He just fills the role for them perfectly. So, Tice is a good player, but I think it's more a product of the system that uh, Brad Stevens has created and the system that the Celtics run with all their their talent in the, in the wings. So, as far as the Raptors go, we've seen Kyle Lowry have these monster games. I think he, what did he have yesterday, 37? Um, coming in clutch, hitting what? those big shots down the stretch. Um, what was it, 37? Can you correct me on that? I'm pretty sure it was 37. Uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was 33. It was 33. 33, okay. Yeah. So, 33, 8, eight 6, 2 steals, 1 block, and so, uh, 12 of 20 from the field. Okay, so he had a very good game. Now, I want to see, in Game 7, I want to see Pascal Siakam take another step forward. I, I know... He, we have these high expectations for him because Kawhi left. Now he's yep. he's the young, talented star emerging. Now I want to see more from him. What can the Raptors do offensively to get him going? Because they're playing very good defense well, on Siakam right now. That's a, that's a great question. Um, I think that they, I mean, obviously they've been putting a lot of thought into it. And they're doing the best that they can. But I think that they're kind of outmatched between Brown and Tatum. They have two guys out there that can consistently lock Pascal down. Yesterday, Pascal was 5 of 19 from the field, but, excuse me, and he, he had maybe less than five open looks, like really open, good looks. Every single other shot was heavily, heavily contested. And uh, what I noticed the Raptors have started to do, um, this is on their last possession yesterday, they went down to Kyle Lowry in the post. What they did is they cleared the wing, and they had four guys on the weak side, and they said, Kyle Lowry, go to the post one-on-one -on -one against Kemba. Because the one weakness that the Celtics have in their defense is Kemba Walker. Um, he, he's certainly very athletic. He's quick. He can do what he wants. He just doesn't have the size to compete. And even saw it on that last shot when Lowry made that, that fadeaway, one-legged floater from the free throw line. It was a superb shot, and Walker played basically the best defense that he could possibly play, but he was just too short. You could see his hand reached all the way up, just working enough to guard Lowry's shot. So I think what the Celtics are going to try to focus on is not let getting, uh, not let Walker getting bullied as much. They're going to try to focus more on uh, switching, because what the Celtics do well is that every time you run a pick and roll, you try to run an off-ball screen, you know, try to get shooters open, you know, they do a lot of looks where they just switch it. They just switch everything. They just switch. And Brown can cover Tatum's guy. Tatum can cover Brown's guy. Tyson can cover Brown's guy. Hayward, when Hayward was playing, Hayward can cover him. They have, and Smart can guard anybody on the court. He
vendors. So they have this very unique system of being able to switch off whenever they please. Their one weak point, though, is when Kemba Walker is on the floor and he's isolated against somebody, he can't have help, but they're going to leave a shooter open. And that, uh, I think, what the, what the Raptors have learned that, that they're trying to expose. They're not going to be able to win with Pascal. He's been shooting terrible this series. They're going to win with Van Vliet and Lowry and taking advantage of the, of the small guards at the Celtics have. I almost thought, like, towards the end of regulation, and you can might maybe even say in overtime as well, Van Fleet was pulling up like he was Curry. And <laughs> shooting from 40 yeah. feet, it seemed like. And, um, and that's not that's not what the Raptors do. They're not known for that. So I, I'm yeah. hoping, I, you know, as a, as a Heat fan, I'm, I'm really pulling for Toronto to win game seven because I think they match up better against the Raptors than they do against the Heat. Now, with that being said, game seven, Raptors-Celtics, who's your pick? Um, Celtics aren't, aren't going to be my pick. We're talking about, uh, you know, with Van Vliet, that's why you brought up that point about him shooting forever. What I love about the Raptors, and I don't know if Nick Nurse has brought this into the culture or if it's just been incorporated by their, their experiences, but nobody on that team gives up. Nobody on that team does not give effort. Every single guy that they put on the court is going balls to the wall. Mm. And I did probably the same thing for the Celtics, but... The, the Raptors have just this weird X factor. Like yesterday, the Celtics were pretty much dominant of that whole game. They had control of the majority of regulation, the majority of overtime, the majority of double overtime. They made some slight mistakes, and the, and the Raptors just didn't go away. They're very pesky. So while I would lean towards the Celtics, I wouldn't put my money on either team. I'm looking forward to the game, and I think the Celtics, and Raptors are both very, very live dogs, and both are going to give Miami a very hard time in the conference finals. It's going to be a great conference finals, no matter who it ends up being. So, okay, I kind of skipped the uh, the first the first part of what I originally had brought up. So the Heat moved on in five games. What what do okay? So let me let me rephrase this question. What do the Heat do very well? on the offensive side of the ball. What what has sparked their plug? Or I, I guess, what, what has sparked their offense? What do they do on the, on the offensive side of the ball? Yes, what have you noticed from them, and, and why were they so successful against Milwaukee? So it, it's an offense that they've, they've pretty much been running through the, the entire season, um, which is a lot of dribble handoffs. Mm-hmm. So they do... The, what the Heat like to do is they like to run five guys out there that are all extremely athletic. It's similar to the Celtics. Where they, they want to be able to switch every matchup, and that's why Bam Adebayo is so great, because he can guard point guards, he can guard small forwards, he can guard centers, he can match up on anybody. So it gives them the ability to switch. So they do the same thing on the offensive end, where they incorporate a lot of dribble split handoffs, where you'll have Iguodala or Jimmy Butler initiating the, the play from the, the sequence from the top of the key. And then you have Tyler Hero catch one screen, or you have Duncan Robinson catch a screen. And these guys have proven that they only need, you know, one foot of space. They don't need right. a ton of space to just get their look up. So what the Heat are doing exceptionally well is they're bumping guys off of screen and they're getting their shooters open off of dribble handoffs. 
the Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson is who we see it from the most. But the Kendrick Nunn has been doing it a little bit, and it's it's really a hard offense to stop because guys are going to get open looks pretty much at will. The thing is just that they're shooting threes, so you're you're kind of banking on the Heat just missing their threes. But <laughs> the thing is that they haven't been missing. Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, Goran Dragic have all been on fire. These guys are going crazy. So it's it's an offense that in essence, should be stoppable because you're, you're just giving up three-point looks. You're getting a dribble handoff at the top of the key. A lot of guys are going under the screen. And you notice that guys are going off uh, over the top of the screen. Um, they're making great backdoor cuts, especially Jimmy Butler and Iguodala and Goran Dragic, who talk the veterans of the team, who have been around offense, so many different offenses. You can see it when out there. You know, they try to run the dribble handoff. But then, say, for instance, the Bucks knew they were running the dribble handoff, so you would see Middleton or you would see Bledsoe jump in the, in the passing lane. But then if you jump in the passing lane for the handoff, now you're leaving the, the back door open. So they go, whoop, and they go in the back door, and the Heat were doing that a lot, just getting back door cuts and using buckets. So they've created, essentially, an unstoppable offense, if we're talking about the Heat. It, it, either you're giving up an open three or you're giving up a layup at the basket. <laughs> Right. And it's, it's tough. How do you decide which one you're going to give up? Because you've got shooters like Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson. It's very, very tough to match up against. So we're going to go to the West just, just very quickly. Clippers are up 3-1. to one. What do you see from that series? Can the, Do the Nuggets even have a chance? Or are they done? No. No, Clippers are going to wrap it up. Um, I think the Nuggets have just put their best foot forward. They played um, as well, really, as they could have. Um, <laughs> you make the argument that close to the walk for the Jazz in the last round, kind of pulled that out of their butt. But um, it's, it's been very evident that Kawhi and PG are just too much. They don't have anybody to stop Kawhi. They don't have anybody to stop PG to a lesser extent. But Kawhi has just put his handprint on the series. They call him the claw for a reason. The band is huge, and he put his handprint on the series. <laughs> right. He's been just unstoppable. He's getting whatever look he wants. He's uh, on defense. He's been shutting down Jamal Murray. Uh, Jamal Murray seemed to get banged up a little bit yesterday. Uh, you can see Nikola Jokic getting extremely frustrated yesterday. He had a, a flagrant foul against Patrick Beverly, which was very uncharacteristic of him, but you can tell that these Clippers are just getting to their heads because they, they can't stop these guys off into sequences. You know, during the series watching it, the Nuggets, every basket that score is a grind. You know, they're taking tough contested shots or they're taking the entire shot clock. Whereas the Clippers are pretty much breathing through possessions and scoring. So I think that series is, is, is over. All right. So we're going to switch over to the NFL here. And I can't be any more excited to watch this upcoming season than anybody else. There's a lot of questions around the league. So let me just get right into it. So Ben Roethlisberger is returning after nearly missing the whole season last year, uh, saying that he's been playing with pain his entire career, and now he's saying that he doesn't have any pain. Should we expect Big Ben to go back to the 5,000-yard passer or even you know 4,500 yards? Should we expect him to put up similar numbers to what he's put up in the past? Well, as long as he stays healthy, uh, I, I, I think... Maybe 4,500, 5,000 in a bit out of a realm. But definitely 4,000 is a realistic possibility. 
especially if you do stay healthy, all the receivers stay healthy. And the biggest problem with the, the Steelers, which is the reason why Big Ben got hurt, is that their offensive line, which was so solidified in the past, last season, was, was very questionable. They were in the past, they were number one in the run game because they were just creating lane opportunities for Le'Veon Bell. It's one part of the reason why Le'Veon Bell was such a sought after guy. He was benefiting off of the dominance of that offensive line. But last year, they were just really, really atrocious. Guys were getting to the quarterback at will. So if, if Ben Roethlisberger is going to be under pressure the whole time, no, I don't think he's going to have a very good season. If his O line can hold up and give him time, he certainly has the arm strength, the IQ, and the talent there to make it a really good offense. I think something that no one is really talking about is the acquisition of Eric Ebron because we've seen Ebron thrive with pass-first quarterbacks. We saw it with Andrew Luck in 2018. He went for 12 or 13 touchdowns, took a step back last year. But should we expect him to be kind of that uh, Heath Miller, you know, that kind of that uh, safety yeah, outlet, Certainly, you know. yeah, most definitely. I say the blanket is a new, um, I'm blanking on the name of the last tight end that they had. I'm trying so hard to think right now. I can't think. Were they he, had a tight end last year? Uh, he, uh, no, before that, that's the Steelers, the tight end that they had. The one who was short on the one yard line, spiked the ball on the ground. Shit, I'm blanking on his name now. But, um, the, the, the Steelers certainly have talent there, but Ebron certainly is a different, I mean, he is a safety blanket. And Ben Roethlisberger loves his tight ends. Mm-hmm. My number one primary position he's had throughout his entire career has been tight end. And he, he seems to have a very renewed energy about him. Where he talked about in the past, he had addictions to gambling, to drugs, to alcohol, to porn. Talking about all these things that, you know, I think most, most any athlete would not be forced talking about. And he was very open about it. And he said, I had all these vices in the past, and they don't affect me anymore. So you've got you to respect if he's keeping true to that word, then I do believe Ben is going to be at his best game. You know, I'm not excusing Ben for maybe, you know, all of his actions in the past, but just saying that this new version of Ben that I see seems to be renewed and seems to be motivated to win. And I think that comes with experience as well. I mean, if things aren't working, you got to change them. And I think also having a year off from football really gave him a lot of free time to, to change. So... I, yeah, I'm right there perspective. with you. I'm right there with you on that one. I think I think he will have a bounce back year. I really do. I think yeah. that you know the Steelers were seven and nine or eight and eight last year with their atrocious quarterback play. Now you get your guy back. You get the man, the face of the franchise. I I can't entirely be surprised if the Steelers make the playoffs this year. I mean they got a good defense. Well, there's a reason why everybody's listening. You know, if you're looking at the fantasy draft. The Steelers' defense was miles above everybody else. Right. And that was for a reason. Because that defense truly is elite. They've got J.J. Watt's younger brother, T.J. They've got Sheldon Rankins. They've got all kinds of animals on the defensive line. Uh, They've got a solid secondary. What's crazy, too, is that they lost Ryan Shazier, who was arguably a top three-nil linebacker when he went down with his injury. And they've been able to bounce back just fine. 
So yeah, that that Steelers team definitely definitely scary. They're gonna be a problem. I'm gonna stay in the AFC North. Will the Browns finally live up to the height that the media has been giving in the last couple of years? Yeah, that's a tough one. That's a real tough one. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, I, do, I do not think they'll win the division, if we're going to put it like that, because I believe that the Ravens are going to be back-to-back with uh, Peters. And it's going to be pretty much a neck-and-neck tie between the Browns and the Steelers. And if I had to lean one way or another, I'd probably lean more towards the Steelers. But that being said, I mean, obviously, Baker Mayfield has a lot to prove. If we're talking about talent, the Browns have more talent on both sides of the ball. Uh, they have event. I mean, and finally, uh, they're going to get their defensive lines back. They're going to get their defensive backs back. Ward and um, why am I blanking on his name? Who is their defensive end? That they took the number one overall pick that got suspended after the Steelers game last year. Miles Garrett. Okay. Yeah, I don't know Miles Garrett's coming back. That team is looking really good. So I would favor the Browns in terms of talent, but for going off of experience, head coaching, and um, all the things you maybe want to bunker down with and rely on, I would go with the Steelers. I, I have them fighting for that final spot because now there's seven teams that are going to the playoffs. I have them fighting for that seventh and final spot. And I think that's, I think that's a pretty fair uh, guess, you know, because of, it's just, at the end of the day, it's the Browns. Well, they're definitely going to be in a wild card equation because I have no doubt in my mind that the Ravens, unless Lamar Jackson gets injured, which let's hope my fantasy team, he doesn't. <laughs> uh, he's, he's, there's no way that team is not going to win the division again. So realistically, and I have not been hearing a lot about this just because the organization has been in such a a mess. What are your expectations for Chase Young in Washington? I think Chase Young is a manimal. He is. He, he reminds me a lot of exactly what Nick Bosa was for the 49ers. He is just unstoppable. He's extremely fast. He's got great swim moves. He's already like a seasoned veteran, and he's <laughs> coming into his rookie year. And that, and on top of that, he's going with a pretty good defense. Yeah, Ryan Kerrigan, is Kerrigan still there? I think yes, he is. Yes, Kerrigan. Yes, Kerrigan's still there. And then on the D line, they've got some some other players. But I think Washington's defense is going uh, to give some teams some problems. I think last year they were seventh overall in total defensive efficiency points per game. I know they were fourth overall. The reason why they couldn't compete with anybody is they their no offense. offense is just so terrible. So, certainly, I think Chase Younger makes some noise, no do you, doubt. Do you have him winning Defensive Rookie of the Year? I think I think it's a no-brainer. I mean, I think he could certainly be his favorite. I wouldn't put money down. I don't I, I don't bet on these things just because you never know when an injury is going to happen or you see a guy come out of nowhere. You know, like Marshawn Lattimore a couple of years ago with the Saints, nobody saw that coming. We knew he was a good cornerback, but nobody knew he was going to be the real leader 2.0. Right. Uh, so you, you, you can't see that. And this, with the, the talent, especially the wide receiver talent in this year's draft, or you, you said defensive player here. Yeah, I think he's definitely his favorite. Um, but I don't know, man. There's so many. There's so many. 
Yeah, I, I'm with yeah. you on that. So, it's been kind of a warming story the last couple of days. Drew Brees, yeah. he hasn't come out and said what he's going to do, but it almost seems like he's hinting at the, that this might be his last year. What is holding the Saints back from getting Drew Brees' a second ring? Nothing. Nothing except him. He's the one that's been, been letting them down. And I think he's saying this is his last year because... He really messed up, man. Drew Brees messed up hard, really, really badly, with that that post that he made about the American flag, and in this in this time of BLM movement and social justice trying to be brought, he just created a ton of enemies, people that will never forget him for what he said. And I I do believe he's remorseful. You know, I don't believe he meant it maliciously. I think he was trying to come from a place of perspective, but he just had no no awareness about the situation. So I think that's the biggest reason why he's saying that this is his quote-unquote final year. He's not welcome in the league, even by his own teammates. His own teammates very much so despise him. You know, we have Malcolm Thomas, who is the NFL PA VP, and that's his teammate. And he was in, he was in tears over what Drew Brees said because he was so offended and so hurt by what Drew Brees said and, and so bewildered by the fact that Drew Brees was so negligent about everything. So I think Drew Brees is going to come out this year and he's going to go ball through the wall. He's going to try his best. But shit, man, if, if I was a player on that team, I wouldn't respect Drew Brees anymore. I would want him to be my leader, especially if I was a player of a different ethnicity. I would be like, nah, this dude, he doesn't understand anything. I don't care how good he can throw the football with. Dead James Winston in a quarterback. That dynamic is hard, man. It's hard to change people's minds. You know, I don't know how he's going to get on good terms. They say that they're on good terms, but I, I, I think that's just, you know, putting up a good show so that they can have a decent season. Because behind the scenes, man, how, how are you going to forgive a guy for saying some ignorant, ignorant stuff like that yeah. and you're a teammate? You know, I don't, I don't see it happening. I don't see it happening. So Drew Brees is going to come out here. He's probably going to be a pro bowler again, do his, do his thing, and he's going to retire. And he's not going to be, when he leaves, he's not going to be met with a lot of love because guys are just like, dude, what? You're right. Yeah. I, I, I see. I can see where other people would, would think of that of him. So going back to the AFC, yeah. will the Patriots continue their success without their Lord and Savior, Tom Brady? Can you see it happening? Can you see it uh, happening yeah, this year? I, I want to say yes, but I don't think because it has anything to do with Tom Brady. I think it has everything to do with that defense. If Belichick can get that defense playing the way they've been playing for the past three seasons, then yes, I do believe they'll make the playoffs because in the division, they're not going to lose to the Dolphins or the, Giants, or the Jets if they play that way. They might go 1-1 one one with the Bills, even if they go 0-2 with the Bills. There's so much potential on that team. I mean, we don't know what kind of version of Cam Newton we're getting, obviously. We don't know who's going to be healthy and whatnot, but we know Bill Belichick's resume as a defensive genius, and we know his resume as just an overall game plan in Jesus. Yes, of course, he's cheated a couple of times. Let's not deny that. He has done it. <laughs> but you can't take away from the fact that the man, when he gets his hand on the film tape, whatever film tape he's trying to get, 
he can analyze it, look, and say, oh, yeah, this is what i got to do with these 15. And that's not that's not a given talent, man. That's not an easy talent to just acquire. So Belichick and that team leading the way, I do believe they'll make the playoffs. Okay, yeah. I know this has been kind of a recycled subject, but I just want a quick answer from you. What do you think the Cowboys should do for the future of Dak Prescott? Should they keep him? Do they need to wait to see how he performs? If he doesn't perform, what, what are they going to do? That's, yeah, that's, uh, that is a good one. It is very much so recycled topic. I mean, clearly this is a make-or-break year, but if he if he doesn't lead them to the playoffs this year, it's it's very hard to see very hard to see them bringing him back because they would have to pay him in the mid thirty to mid thirty low forty region millions, right? So they probably have to give him about a five year two hundred million, five year one hundred eighty million, somewhere in that range. And uh, the Cowboys already their salary is already really high. I I don't see them keeping him if he if he doesn't prove himself as an elite quarterback. Okay, so two last questions. Who is your number one dark horse to win the Super Bowl? Mm-hmm. Do I got a bigger conference? You can pick any team. Number one dark horse to win the any Super Bowl. Any team from anywhere. All right. Well. I hate for this one. The Titans. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Yeah, man, I was just looking at all these teams right now, and, I mean, it's hard to define as what's an unexpected victory because, I mean, if I told you the Seahawks were going to win, you'd be like, well, yeah, no shit, the Seahawks are going to win. If I told you the Buff Bills are going to win, you'd be like, yeah, no shit. So I'm looking at a lot of these teams, and I'm looking at the favorites. I'm trying to look at a team that's not a favorite, and maybe it's a, it's a winner, and that's the Titans. Because, like, you know, I could obviously tell you the Buccaneers. Clearly, a lot of people can be in the Buccaneers bandwagon or, yeah. or the 49ers. But those aren't sleeper teams, you know. So my sleeper team is the Titans. The Titans. Okay. I mean, I would have to disagree with you. I, you know, and maybe the Bills do have really good odds, but that would be my dark horse just because of that defense alone. And I think Josh Allen is going to make a big step in his uh, yeah. in his skill wise this year, I mean, now he's got Stephon Diggs. Well, they, now he's got that down that yeah, down the field receiver. Definitely. Let's go. Let's get the offense definitely. going. But yeah, they are the favorite to win the division. That's what I'm saying about. But I mean, if you're considering that in terms of the entire AFC, I don't think they're being looked at at all. They, they're kind of being disrespected. So you make a great point there because the Bills are going to be bringing it this year. And they're kind of flying under the radar. So that's a great pick. I like that pick. And also, I mean, their running game wasn't terrible. I know Devin Singletary is supposed to have a really good year. But then they also they also drafted Zach Moss out of Utah, who I haven't yep. heard too much about him. Yep. But, you know, well, I have. It's not terrible because they have a really, really great offensive line up there. And that's what allows Josh Allen to thrive because Josh Allen is not a very good quarterback. Here, let's be honest. In terms of throwing the football, he's very inaccurate. Um, he's very inconsistent. He makes some poor reads. But in terms of athleticism and scrambling, he's an A plus. You know, if he was in Madden, he'd be he'd be the glitch. Yeah. And uh, that is very hard to contain. So if if they can figure out how to maximize that part of their offense and not 
being forced all the time and, and you know getting consistent pressure against them. Man, it's hard to imagine people beating them. There's just so much talent there. Oh, I would agree with you. And and luckily the Colts don't play the Bills this year, so that I'm I'm safe away from. So one yeah. last question. You're way too early Super Bowl champs. Who and why? <laughs> well, I mean, I guess if I got to say anybody, I, I guess I got to say the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Oh, no. <laughs> that's two no's. I know, man. I know. If, that, if I'm trying to look at one team that I say that's the team that's going to win, I choose them. And it's, it's not just because of Brady, but it's because of the weapons that he has. He has the two two of the top five wide receivers in the entire NFL. He's getting Gronk back, the greatest tight end of all time. They just signed Leonard Fournette. And the one thing that the Buccaneers could do last year with their 5-11 record was play defense. And now they're falling out on offense to match that defense. It's so hard to imagine people beating them, man. And Brady is going to know every scheme, every system. And he's going to be having Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Gronkowski, O.J. Howard, Leonard Fournette. I mean, this is like Mahomes, Chiefs level. We're talking about this kind of talent is only matched by the Chiefs on the offensive side of the ball. There's no other team that even comes close to competing with that kind of offensive talent. And then they got the Best quarterback of all time to go with it? Man, and and then they got Bruce Arians as their coach, who's renowned as one of the best coaches to ever coach. And man, it's hard to pick against that, man. As much as I'm a Packers fan, it's hard to pick against that, dude. Alrighty. Well, folks, there it is. Jimmy Davis giving his insight on all the NFL and the NBA as well. Jimmy, go ahead and watch your so, Lakers. I know you're watching. I know you're you you you're dying yeah, to watch the that game. game on in the background. <laughs> I've been watching it for the same time. Sorry if I've been sounding a little discombobulated. I'm trying to get my focus in three different directions. No worries. <laughs> Thanks, Jimmy, for coming on. We'll have you on again sometime soon. Most best, James. Hey, good luck to your Heat, man. Oh, you know I'll be watching. I'll be watching Game Seven tomorrow too. Pulling for the Raptors. Definitely. Everybody stay safe out there. Have a good weekend. All right, Jimmy. Watch some NBA conference final. Yes, of course. Yes, sir. All righty. See ya. Jimmy Davis, once again, always good to have him on the show. So to end the show really quick, um, I'm just going to say I do have the Chiefs winning tonight, and I don't think it's going to be close. It's actually kicking off here in the next five to ten minutes. It is not going to be close. I think the Chiefs are the best team in the NFL and the Texans are going to have to figure out how to move the ball without having to rely on Hopkins to make plays for them. And I just don't see it working tonight. There's no preseason. Uh, and I think that's very detrimental to a team who needs to learn how to play without having a star wide receiver who's been a part of their offense for so long. So I don't see it working tonight. I do like the Chiefs 37 217. And the Laker game is going on right now. I do like the Lakers winning tonight as well. Everything is going their way, and I see them winning pretty comfortably. So that's going to be it for today's show, guys. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll see you guys next week. It's the Guarantee Sports Corner. Have a good weekend, guys. Watch some football. Aloha.